0: Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Tooth Radio Show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Sit back, buckle up, and put on your helmets because we're going for a ride. Tonight, we're going to feature an introspective interview with Miss Nancy Dannison, author of Answers from the Afterlife. This is her fourth book, and I have to tell you, even so many people have had near-death experiences. I think Miss Dannison has got one of the most compelling stories of being in the afterlife that I've ever heard. There's just so much information that's out there. You're, with her, we're pulling the curtain behind the curtain behind the curtain. And when you walk away from this interview, you're probably going to be a different person. Uh, Ms. Nanderson and I, believe it or not, have shared a previous lifetime. We were incarnating one of our last lifetimes in Jamaica. Yeah in 1655 and her name was Horatia and my name was Kanari and we were you know she was my mom I was her son I was a big disappointment she got very upset she goes you're not learning and you know long story short she died I came back in this lifetime to interview her you know what, I'm just kidding I didn't even know if we had a past life together I just thought it'd be kind of fun to hypothetically discuss that because we do have some kind of connection so maybe we were buddies in a past lifetime and maybe it wasn't Jamaica maybe it was uh America, Rome, who knows. Anyway, I'm so excited to present this interview with you tonight. The Outer Limits of Intertooth Radio Show proudly presents an introspective interview with Miss Nancy Dennison. Welcome back to the program it is spiritual author, Miss Nancy Dennison. She has her fourth book. It was just published. It's called Answers from the Afterlife. Folks, I got this book and I read it in a single day. It was incredibly compelling and fascinating. You learn more about Ms. Dannison by going to our website at backwardsbooks.com. Miss Dannison, welcome back to the program. Great honor to have you.
1: Oh, it's so great to be here, Ryan.
0: <laughs> Excellent. So your fourth book about your compelling um, near-death, well, you don't even call it a near-death experience. You you died and you merged into the source. Can you please uh, just from, tell our audience again about your experience, what happened and why your experience Was different than about 99 percent of the other people who have a near-death experience what made yours completely different
1: I died uh, as a result of an anaphylactic allergic reaction to local anesthetic combined with low blood sugar while I was having a radiologic procedure prior to breast cancer surgery and I was alone at the time that it happened because the radiologist and radiology technician had left the room to get the eighth set of mammogram films. Developed. The, the, t- the procedure they were doing was to insert uh, a needle with a large board needle with a wire inside of it into my breast in order to mark where the tumors were so the surgeon would know where to cut. And then they would squish me down to the mammogram machine to see if the needle was in the right place. And we went through that eight times.
0: Oh, my gosh. It's horrible.
1: I Yes. I um, got out of my body. I was quite surprised to have done that. Went into the light and had the most extensive afterlife experience uh, ever recorded, at least to the best of my knowledge. Part of what was different about my experience than those of others who have near-death experiences is that it was my time to die. I never got to a point where somebody said, oh, you have to go back. It's not your time, which happens in most cases. And I was never resuscitated, uh, which also happens in, in most cases. The other thing that is so completely different than um, other near-death experiencers is that I went through the whole transformation process from thinking like a human to being a spiritual being in the afterlife, to going through stages of life past what we call heaven, and then to recombining or awakening within the source. And while I was awakening as source, I saw the entire creation of the universe and... I, but, and before that, I had seen an entire history of planet Earth and humankind and the development of religion and spiritual beliefs during the course of all of human history, including the future. So while I was awakening as a source, I still had in the back of my mind, you know, nothing that happened to me in the afterlife was what I expected. Nothing was like what my religion had taught me. All the information that I had been given was completely different. It was a seamless explanation of life. It was simple. It was easy to understand. And I was annoyed that my religion, my religious leaders had felt like I wasn't able to handle it. You know, why why didn't they tell me the truth? So by the time I was ready to completely awaken in the source and I guess... Finish my illusory existence as a separate being, I was still thinking, gee, you know, somebody ought to go back to Earth and tell those people the truth. <laughs> you know, and I wasn't necessarily thinking it should be me. <laughs> but but just, just having that thought, oh, somebody ought to tell those people, whoosh, I'm back in my body.
0: <laughs> so you were the right, wow. So you tell me this experience. Now, to. Further relate to it. So you get merged into the source. and the source is the creator. It is the end-all, be-all thing. Is that what people refer to as God? Yes. Okay. So I guess that you went to this phase where you're human and then you're a light being, and then you realize that you are the source, that you're part of the collective source, or you are. That's, I yes. Mean, it's, it's, it's
1: the pretty... ultimate point I, I reached was that I awoke to the knowledge that I was never a separate being, I was never human, I was never alone, I was never anything other than Source, God, pretending to be Nancy.
0: Okay. So I guess one of the first questions we'll go to is in the first part of your book, and I guess we're talking about creations, what's the purpose? Why should? Why do we have this illusion of separation? Why are we human? What's the What's the main reason why you and I are in bodies and we have this illusion of separation? Is it, um, is it to learn? Is it to, to evolve? Is it to grow?
1: None of the above. Okay. Um, humans have projected onto life and the afterlife and eternity The way humans think about things and and the way humans have experienced it, you know, here on Earth. And so they've kind of decorated this Christmas tree of human beliefs with myths and personal opinions and urban legends and, you know, just all kinds of stuff without realizing that it's not true.
0: Okay, so is the purpose of being human? One of the main qualities and characteristics is to have this kind of, what we call it, spiritual ignorance or, um, you know, absent mindedness about the true nature of the origin well, of light. Well,
1: yes, in, in a way. What Source did was it was alone. At, at the time that I first saw Source's existence, it was alone and it decided. It was exploring its own character traits and personality and and emotions and realized, you know, a being alone doesn't have anybody to interact with, but it could imagine beings to interact with. And so that's what it did. It imagined all kinds of creatures and things and plants and inanimate objects and an entire universe of physical matter and like we're able when we dream to put ourselves into one of the dream characters and watch the dream from inside the dream character source is able to put itself inside everything in the universe and watch what happens and interact from inside each character each thing each part of the universe and that gave source a way to interact with itself using not only personality and character traits with which it's familiar because they're its own character traits and personality traits, but also ones that it could imagine but couldn't personally experience because of its own nature. The source is unconditionally loving. It cannot experience anger and hate and fear and all kinds of what we would call negative emotions. It's just not physically capable of doing that, but it can imagine those feelings and so it imagined characters that could have those feelings and so the entire purpose of of life including yours and mine is for source to be able to interact with itself and experience all kinds of thoughts and emotions and feelings and sensations that it can't have as a purely energetic spiritual entity
0: okay if you said before that source is not able or capable of experiencing anything less than unconditional love, if source is infinite and source is the end-all, be-all of existence, why would it be limited in its capability of experiencing anything? Or why would it be have any sort of limitation as far as what it, what it could experience?
1: I don't know why its character is the way it is. I okay. don't know why it's composed the way it is. Right. It can imagine everything and it knows everything. But the source that I experienced has specific character traits and personality traits.
0: And what created source? What was before source or how did source come to existence?
1: I was given, I don't know if it was an inkling or maybe it was a suspicion. While I was inside source and I was getting all this information about creation and of the universe and about everything else, I got the impression that either it was one of a species or race or group of similar beings, or it was part of a larger entity like we are part of it. Oh, really? But I so, never, I never got, a, got that pinned down. And I couldn't tell if I couldn't get it pinned down because I just simply couldn't comprehend it. Or whether source didn't know itself.
0: Wow, well, you know, it just uh, something just popped in my my mind or spirit, if you want to say. That. I wonder if source of what we're experiencing as source is a microcosm of what's actually happening inside of all of us. I mean, if we're, a, a, you know, an illusionary piece of infinity, I wonder if the same things are actually happening inside all of us, where we're where the creators of this world, we're consciously aware of it. Um,
1: actually, our our ability to dream is a microcosm of what source has done it created us and the universe the same way that we create dreamscapes and characters within the dream okay and we can do that because we're source
0: excellent when a person has narrative experience they have like you know one of these you know profound spiritual experiences where they 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 know for a fact that they feel for a fact that they're interacting with God, and God says to them, "You need to get your life around, or you need to do this, or I need you need to do this." So this is your mission. Who, theoretically speaking, are they interacting with? Are they interacting with a um, a light being pretending to be God? Are they interacting with a being that may not have the best of intentions that's pretending to be something it's not? Or could they, theoretically speaking, be interacting with uh, the collective uh, consciousness known as Source, and Source wants to, you know, give one of its creations a leg up or a heads up on something?
1: I I don't know who they are connecting with, but I did learn in the afterlife that when we are in the afterlife, when we're spiritual beings or what I call light beings, we do not communicate in words. So people in the afterlife do not answer prayers, do not send information to humans. They do not communicate. They do not channel. Um, the source itself can absolutely give us direct information directly about our own lives, but it would never say you need to do this or you shouldn't do that. The source never directs our lives or tells us what to do. Okay, it just wants
0: us to be who we are?
1: Just... Yes. Now, if we ask, that part of us, Ryan, uh, when, we're in, in, when we incarnate into physical matter, part of us stays in the afterlife, in the light or heaven, whatever you want to call it. The part that's still in the afterlife c- will communicate with the part that's in the human body. Now, that entity will give guidance and say, well, you know, here's... Here's what we planned when you know we decided to, to incarnate. So do this or do that, but it's just yourself giving yourself guidance.
0: Early in your book, you're talking about what death teaches us, right. and you really distinctively say that well, there's, there's no hell. There's no hell, in this this an illusion. You know, why is there no hell? Why don't people who who do something horrible be subject to you know? Receiving the uh, you know punishment for that is that it that is it, is it a human quality to, to expect punishment when somebody does something horrific if a being goes out and harms a lot of people isn't there some particular um, Effect that's going to happen to that being for what they've done And if there's something that causes something good Isn't there something bound to happen to them or pull to their experience something positive of like-minded frequency energy?
1: As I indicated before mm-hmm. humans have a tendency to project What they experience as life on earth? Onto the afterlife and onto their religious beliefs and what they Experience in human life is that they feel and look and seem completely separate from our creator from God And so they assume that to be true and act accordingly They believe that there is some God out there somewhere that created us and sent us into this God forsaken planet where we suffer and are hurt And we have to do the right things in order to earn our way back to heaven and God's presence. I learned, and that's what I thought before I Mm. died. You know, I believe the whole nine yards that the Catholic Church taught us. But in the afterlife, I learned that that whole premise of separation isn't true. And because it's not true, nothing that follows from it is true either. Source imagines us in its mind— If we're part of source's own mind, why on earth would it want to punish itself? There's no hell because these mental characters within source's mind can't go anywhere. (laughs) They're just, they're no different than dream characters in our own mind. Our dream characters can't get out of our mind and walk around on the earth and do things. Mm -hmm. And we are mental characters in source's mind and Although we have the illusion that the, that we are walking around and doing things as humans, it isn't true.
0: God, so we're bound by it. So I mean, even though, let's say, the joy that we're experiencing as a human form or the pain that we could be causing in human form, is it really all just completely irrelevant and illusionary compared to true nature, true life, or the, the true existence of our reality?
1: It's. Not irrelevant to human life, because you know, face it, we're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we live with other humans. We experience oh, all kinds of things, as you know, inside these bodies, and we have to deal with the consequences while we're in human life. But none of it applies in the afterlife. Okay,
0: you know, you the just...
1: afterlife is nothing like human life.
0: <laughs> what is the, I guess the next question is what is the afterlife? Like is I mean, I guess human beings, correct me if I'm wrong, our uh, beloved listeners that are out there, but I imagine a perfect afterlife would be it's peaceful all the time. Everyone's looking good. Everyone's got a six-pack of abs, and we're all tan, and there's, it, life's 24/7 at a bar or someplace very peaceful. But I imagine, that what is, <laughs> I imagine that's going to be slightly different than your version of what the afterlife is.
1: That's a perfect example of what I mean by humans projecting <laughs> human life onto the afterlife. But Uh-oh. that is what most people believe. I mean, you know, that, I believe there was a paradise where I would be happy and pain-free and mm. everything would be wonderful. And all those things were true when I was in the afterlife. But there's no physical reality to it. There's no physical space, no physical bodies, no physical sensations. It's all mental and emotional and intellectual but because we're when we're in the afterlife we're in a higher state of sources energy field it's blissful all the time
0: oh that's great it's great and i love that you addressed something in the beginning of your book that people would be very fascinated about i'm actually going to read the question as it is because i just thought you it was addressed very well it says why is there such a difference between what psychics see about the afterlife and what people with near-death experiences report, and I'll add a question to that, is what are psychic generally seeing when they're communicating with people uh, who, have, who are dead, and how do people who are, who are dead, who have crossed over, actually communicate with people who are here? Is it Does it take a considerable amount of effort for people who have crossed over into non-physical reality to communicate with people who are in physical reality?
1: My understanding from being in the afterlife is that psychics are not communicating with the afterlife. They are not communicating with spiritual beings there. They are not getting information from the afterlife from somebody who has died and gone into the afterlife. What psychics do is read to the... and, And I have a little bit of a psychic ability, and I know this is what I do, is read the information field around the person... Who's getting the reading? That information field is bigger than what the person himself or herself is aware of. I mean, it consists of every every thought that they've ever had, every fact about them, things that we've forgotten. You know, so there's a lot of information there that psychic is getting.
0: So, uh, are yes. they able are they able to communicate at all, or make a connection with anyone who's died?
1: My understanding is that. When somebody in the afterlife, you know, if our loved ones, you know, Mm -hmm. our deceased parents or grandparents or child wants to communicate, they will communicate directly with their loved one, not through a psychic, not through a medium. Okay. And they communicate generally in short bursts, like a fragrance, a vision, a few words, um Something happening that reminds you of them, like, you know, you'll see a picture that that you didn't expect to see, or there'll be something in a room that reminds you of your loved one that wasn't there before. You know, something noticeable that you know is from them. Um. And I think psychics are mostly, I think, reading the information field around the person being read and then giving them reassurance.
0: Okay. Is there, are there ever any circumstances where a psychic might be able to communicate an authentic message from somebody who's passed because that person cannot receive the message or is not receiving the previous messages from their loved one that they're trying to send to them?
1: I, I can't say that it could never happen. Okay. And I do know that... Particularly if we're grieving, it makes it very hard for our loved ones in the afterlife to communicate with us so You know, there's there's a blockage there, but again, I was informed that People in the afterlife do not communicate through psychics or mediums Okay.
0: What about when a person is in a deep state of of meditation when they are not Allowing their brain to think about anything. Is that a part of a receptive moment where they actually are more open to receiving messages? For not only source, but their, you know the beloved ones who have crossed over
1: Yes, that's the best way to do it.
0: Okay Is there a predestination for why a person will leave earth? Are they is that something decided upon beforehand? I think you maybe have touched upon it before saying well, we all have a way to get out of out of our bodies, but is the timeline always changing is it is it a predictable nature is there a, or an idea of when we're going to pass
1: when we decide to incarnate we also decide how we're going to leave the incarnation how we're going to die mm-hmm. but once we're in the life see our our lives we manifest our lives moment by moment as we go along there's nothing set in stone there's nothing predestined nothing that can't be changed. We may plan what we want to accomplish, but if it doesn't work out, we just on the fly <laughs> manifest something different. So it is entirely possible that the exit strategy or the death that we planned won't take place. We'll come up with something different while we're living a human life.
0: There's a lot of movies that they have about superheroes and people with super human strength and qualities have you ever come across or sense that those types of people exist and or do exist in different realities or different according to different creations of sources mind and I'm curious if you know source is infinite and source has got all these ability to create do human beings actually have the capability of becoming superhuman can they have the capability of designing or dreaming a world for themselves where they have stronger than normal capabilities
1: My understanding of humans, and I was given a ton of information about them, Mm. is that um, we light beings and source can change human DNA and do so periodically to improve the species. So, yes, it's absolutely possible that source and the light beings who are interested in, in Earth can change Human DNA to produce a stronger, faster, more something human, but humans don't have any contribution in that. You know, yeah. they can't construct it or design it or produce it in a test tube or whatever.
0: Got it. And I think that sometimes a lot of humans they look at their technology as the mark of the revolution and say, you know, we're evolving because we're incorporating more technology. We're using technology as a matter to define our growth. Where do you see uh, humanity? Do you think humanity is is evolving? Is it growing? Or can humanity only grow to a certain point and it's peaking out and the technology is just an illusion that it's just keeping people, you know, giving them the idea that they're evolving, where at some point in time they may actually be regressing. If you look at the world right now, especially the United States, there's over 20 million children that go hungry at night and yet there's always enough money to, to buy a tank, there's always enough money to go to war and it seems to me that there's always enough money to go to war yet there's, there's always a lack of money when it comes to taking care of people. Um, I, I find it a little strange I, and like some people would think that I'm crazy for thinking that way but where do you see it? Where do you see humanity right now? Are we evolving or are we de-evolving?
1: Well, let's let's. Talk a little bit about the, separating the human animal body from the spiritual soul inside of it. Those are okay. two separate trains of thought in Source's mind. The human animal bodies are limited by their DNA. All the intelligence, all the creativity, the compassion, the knowledge, the scientific advancements all of that is the work of the souls inside the human bodies now if the souls could control the human bodies more than what they have been in the past then we could see advances in our cultures and societies to the extent that you know we would stop harming the planet we would start feeding the starving we would divert money from football and basketball players and mm. you know use it to heal you know, diseases and feed people but it was the system isn't designed for the souls to always control the humans i mean the humans were designed to be wild and violent and irresponsible and self-centered and arrogant and you know, primitive creatures and that's one of the reasons why we souls come to earth and, and enter into humans is because it's a wild ride on a primitive planet. It's like, you know, it's like, the, you know, I don't know, call of duty three or, you know, black, black ops four. I mean, it's like the biggest challenge, you know, of you know, in the universe, of, you know, how are we going to get through this life as a human, you know?
0: Jeez, it seems that way. Is this. So humans
1: are not evol- Humans will never evolve to doing better than what they do unless, and and, well, they'll never evolve beyond what they are, but the way we behave as a society and as a culture, that could improve if we would individually wake up to the fact that we are the souls inside the bodies and that we have the power to change things and we have the power to control these animals we're riding and do something about it.
0: Now, this awakening, is this something that when you were in Source that you foresaw? Do you actually foresee an event happening where humanity does wake up? And if not, I mean, are are we destined to to live like this? Because I feel like culture has gotten so much violent and it's so tyrannical and I'm not – and I'm actually a pretty positive, open person, but <laughs> it seems like it's just getting more tyrannical. I mean, look, look, every video game that's out there that's popular involves shooting someone with a machine gun. That's the most popular yeah. game. And yeah. every TV show is a, is about shooting people in the head. And you know, I know people are like, well, you know, it's just entertainment, but I'm sure that stuff has to, you know, have some kind of impact on people. Maybe it, you know, makes you dehumanized to it. But of course, I'm just curious. Is it? Do you see a Forsee Awakening? Happening? Are, we just, are we going down this path, I guess, in this reality?
1: Well, what I saw when I was watching the history of planet Earth and, his, and the history and future of mankind is that when the, there's a major change in the epics, epoch is the way it was pronounced in the afterlife, and we're in the second one now, going into the third, there's a long transition period there. But in the third epoch, like most of the people on Earth will have died out. The ones who are left are the ones who are capable of controlling their bodies and creating a more peaceful culture and society on Earth. And so I saw, and many other near-death experiences have seen this as well, but at some point in the future, the pendulum will swing back to a more peaceful, agrarian, compassionate uh, more utopian type of society now is that going to happen in 10 years no would it be a hundred years maybe could it be a thousand years maybe but then ultimately planet earth um, and i don't remember what happens all i remember is when i watched it i said to myself oh earth goes the same way mars did so whatever happened to mars to turn it into a dead red arid planet happens to earth which will wipe out all humans
0: oh so geez it's unfortunate just when we got the peace going it just that happens
1: well the peace could last millions of years
0: oh, okay oh see, there's, no,
1: there, there's no time in the afterlife so when you see when near-death experiencers see things happening in the afterlife unless they see a date on a newspaper or, or given a specific date you can't tell when in the future things are going to happen Okay.
0: You know, I find it interesting right now, especially if you call it the alternative media. It seems that people are much more aware of what's happening in the world. I mean, I guess that you know, traditionally speaking, 10, 20 years ago, that they, they weren't questioning as much. I think they're questioning a lot more right now. Are these? They're open up to more um, aspects of the true nature of reality. And I, I think I don't know if this is logic or it's just high in the sky thinking but a lot of these sites and especially uh, metaphysical teachers seem to say we're on the brink of a major transition and things were on we're, we're about to come out of the darkness and we're about to you know clear the, the this curve and we're on the path to lightness and I, I just don't see it and I don't think I'm crazy for not seeing it because I see the the trajectory of the way things are going right now. Are these people high in the sky, or is there some legitimacy to what they're saying? Is humanity on this turning point right now, where they're at least making that transition towards the light, or are we just um, you know going back down to the darkness?
1: I think that we're in the transition to the more peaceful society, but you know nobody can say whether we're at the beginning of it, the middle of it, or the end of it. And, you know, as as you and I were talking the other day, Ryan, so much of our lives is influenced by the media. And the media, if it bleeds, it leads. So the media is full of horrors, deaths and wars and plagues and everything bad that anybody can find as a news story is put out there 24-7 now. So we are inundated in the media with all the bad things of life, which may be like 0.03% of human events. <laughs> you know, and there's no, no constant bombardment of the peaceful things about life, the happy things, the boring things, you know, the, oh. <laughs> all the things that, that used to be uh, foremost in our minds. Those aren't in the media anymore. And so we get a completely distorted picture of how bad it is.
0: It it seems pretty crazy. I love this question in uh, your chapter about light beings. You said there are times when humans feel depressed, sad, abused, they're mourning, they're just suffering. Is there any way that human beings can tap into the power of the light being inside of themselves to alleviate their miserable feelings. Is is it a necessity for that human being to experience that or can they just tell Source hey, listen, hey, creator, Source that I'm a part of, I'm done with this. I don't want to experience this anymore. Let's go on to uh, the next phase of me experiencing you, which is the feelings of joy and happiness. Is there a way to just do that and tell Source that you've had enough and Source is like, okay. We spiritual
1: entities, Source, souls inside humans we manifest our lives moment by moment and we can always change we can always improve our lives by manifesting something different but in order to do that we have to get the human mind the human thinking the human feelings and perspective out of the way the best way that i know of doing that is with um, some some form of meditation or mindfulness or the power of now, the book, the power of now, you know, staying in the present moment so that we can step back and objectively view our lives and access our spiritual powers to consciously manifest. So by using that, that, ability to, to manifest, we can alleviate depression, sadness, mourning, feeling abused. All
0: right, but as far as the, you know, we're existing in the reality of now, I guess, and do we have a conscious choice and say, you know, maybe my life's been really tough. Maybe I've had a lot of hard times. There's been a lot of dark moments But I don't want to live like that anymore. And I just, I want to just do things completely different. Does a human being, if they pull back and they become one with the light being or they just pull out of the human perspective, can they fundamentally rewrite their trajectory life path? Can they change their entire life path? And um, my understanding is that haven't you done that before? Haven't you decided or made some affirmations to say, listen, I don't want to experience what I'm experiencing anymore. I want to be pulled out and experience something else.
1: Yeah, the human can't do that, okay. but the soul can. The soul can definitely um, manifest changes in its life. And I have used um, conscious manifesting to uh, save my own life, my own human body's life in the past and to alleviate medical conditions, um, to alleviate depression and sadness and grieving and, and all kinds of things.
0: Can you please ask you to, to how how would you, if you can you teach that how do you, how would you describe to someone how, to, how they can do that?
1: I actually have a meditation on. Oh, let's see, I think it's my how to. Hmm, I think it might be how to access universal knowledge CD. Okay. Or maybe it's how to manifest physical reality. I can't remember which one, but on one of them, there's a, a meditation on how to. Basically, get your perspective out of your body so that you're looking um, at your human body as a separate entity, which gives you gives you that objective perspective. Um, The other way to do it is uh, the way the Eckhart Tolle describes it in The Power of Now, where you you know you say to yourself, you know, you're, you're quiet and you say to yourself. A thought is going, you know, going through the mind. Well, if you can see that a thought is going through your mind, aren't you a separate entity from whoever's doing the thinking? You know, if you can objectively sit back and look at your own thoughts, that's the soul looking at the human's thoughts. Is what it is. He doesn't call it that, but it's a way. And mindfulness also gives you a way to step back and objectively observe the body's functioning, the body's thinking. I can't remember what your question was. (laughs) I got off on that tangent.
0: I know. It was was great. You you actually answered it. You answered it completely. Um, It's going to come to another question. A lot of people want to find their soulmates. They're all trying to find the, the true love. And I think a lot of people uh, can say that, you know, they've met the love of their lives and it, they feel like they've met that person. And they say, you know, I, for some reason, I feel like I've known you my entire life. What is that? What is, what is that? What is authentic people who feel that they found a soulmate? Is that something that was random? Is that something that was pre planned? Do those two beings have an agreement prior to coming in here that they were going to meet? Or could that just be something of randomness where they just you know, randomly you found someone? Congratulations. It could, but be, it could be
1: any of the above. It could okay. be any of the above. Um, my understanding is that we do not generally have soulmates. We do generally form contracts with other souls in the afterlife to, to incarnate with them and to have some kind of relationship in human life. Yeah, maybe not like a loving soulmate, but it could be any kind of relationship. Or it could be that you just happen to run into somebody you know in the afterlife. I've done that. In fact, when I was on the Bev Smith show, mm-hmm. she said, I feel like I've known you my whole life. And I felt the same way. Oh, you cool. Know, it's, it's, it's like uh, there are just some people you click with. And my belief is that it's because you know them in the afterlife. Not the human, of course, but the soul.
0: You know the kind of funny? I think it would be so funny if you're having a conversation with someone and they're like, oh, my God, you have no idea what this person did in the afterlife. We were at the bar, and oh, my goodness. <laughs> and you, you came to have a physical life incarnation to get away from what you did. I don't know. That's just some random thinking. Um,
1: no bar, No bars. <laughs> in the
0: afterlife. Sorry, no Ryan. Oh, jeez. more. So drink up
1: now, honey. Drink up now.
0: Stick <laughs> around. All right, so you have this amazing chapter in your book, about evil. And uh, this is something I have a lot of fascination with because look at the world and uh, I don't know. There are people who do horrible things to other people. There are people who rape. They murder. They, they, they do horrible things to animals. And you know, every, people have a number of reasons why they do it. Is it a chemical imbalance? Is it the fact that they're possessed by a demonic entity? Is it the devil responsible? What is your initial perspective on evil?
1: what i was told in the afterlife is that a lot of what we call evil is just natural animal behavior. Humans are animals. Period. And we don't like to think of ourselves as being an animal and we like to think that we're so much you know superior to you know horses and cows and pigs, but we're not. Our bodies are any more sophisticated than horses and cows and pigs and cats and dogs. Domesticated animals in general. And so they have the predator versus prey instinct. They have the me first instinct. They have the survival instinct. And humans will do just about anything to get their own way. The, the job of a soul's inside is to train. Our bodies, and that's what you know. Parents do, and schools do, and societies do. We train these animals and how to behave in a civilized society. And in addition to training, we have to control our bodies. Okay. And I lost my train of thought on that one. I mean, I lost. What no, I was just saying.
0: So you have train our bodies, but um, is there any main entity responsible for the evil? It's it's just human nature.
1: It's just human nature. Yeah, there's no demonic possession. There's no outside force. It's just animals running wild. And they might be running wild for any number of reasons. It could be that, you know, as little tiny children, they were abused and they did not learn how to adapt to polite society. Or they were abused. And the only way they could defend themselves was by fighting back. And so they became violent and fighters or they were abused and their only defense mechanism was to become just like the people abusing them. You know, the psychological torture associated with abuse is just incredibly powerful and it does a humongous amount of damage to children especially, and they grow up and form part of a society that engages in acts that we call evil. And sometimes children that are not abused but that are physically or emotionally damaged in other ways will grow up to act in ways that are evil. And sometimes children are are reared to believe that they can just act however they want. I mean they're just not given any any real set of guidelines or any principles to live by. And so basic human nature takes over, which is violence and greed and arrogance and gimme 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 and me first all the time.
0: Uh, I want to give you visualizations for a minute and I want you to to visualize that the sun is a plus five. The sun is oscillating at a plus five vibration. And we'll say the sun is collectively all the great acts of compassion, love that every human throughout the course of his existence has done for another human being. So you've got the plus five. Then you've got the moon, which is a negative four. And that is a compilation of every painful experience, rape, murder, torture, you want to call it, all that darkness that's there. When I bring these two things to your attention, I'm wondering if a person is oscillating on their energy at a plus five or if they're oscillating, let's say, down to a negative four as far as their energy goes, are they pulling into their experience a kind of a surge of energy from either one of those two, sun or moon, that is kind of encouraging or you know, allowing their evil or good to come out and be manifested quicker. Is the collective good part of that sun, It's the collective evil of humanity part of that moon, and do those two, the uh, way I described it, get bigger or even stronger based on the amount of evil that is done over the course of several years? Can the sun actually decrease in size? Can the moon actually decrease in size based on how much evil is happening in the world? And if that's no. the case... Okay.
1: No. And... All energy is source energy. Okay. It's unconditionally loving. It has source characteristics. There is no way energy can have, you know, bad negative um, events or consequences or emotions like your moon at a negative four, or good events and consequences and compassion and love and like your sun with a positive five. The energy is not affected one way or the other. Source energy is source energy is source energy no matter where it's located. What controls behavior is the human animal or the soul or the combination of the two. It's not the energy inside the animal and not the energy inside the soul. Each moment a choice is made, how am I going to act? And unless the soul is controlling the animal or training that the animal has gotten from parents or school or society takes over, then the animal is going to act like an animal. That's just the way humans are built.
0: Sure. Is there another, I think you touched upon it before, maybe um, off-record, but is there another evolution after this one or different than this one where you have a physical being that is more in touch or greater in touch with the soul being and as less of an animal. So you'll have, uh, you know, societies or civilizations that you have all the, you know, great things. You get the sex, you get the alcohol, you get you know, the sunshine, the beaches, but without all the animalistic tendencies and all the violence.
1: Well, that exists already on other planets. Okay. Humans will never be like that. No. No because humans were not designed to be like that.
0: Okay. So, I guess uh, I have a question and I'm sure other people will have the same question. How do we get a ticket to paradise? Do we just tell Source right now say, "Hey, look, you know, we're humans right now. We're going to we're going to do all the experiences humans, but uh, please get us four tickets to paradise once we're done with this one." Mr. Source or Mrs. Source?
1: Everybody has a ticket to paradise. Oh good. It's automatic. Okay. And I know I get a lot of you know, email from people saying, well, that can't be right. I mean, Hitler can't be in heaven. You know, If you're thinking about life from the standpoint of the human perspective, where you believe we're separate from source, anything can happen. And a lot of the bad things that people imagine can happen in that kind of a scenario. But that's not the truth. The truth is that we are source. We never leave source's mind. It's impossible for us not to be in source. It's impossible for us not to be in paradise. Now, will we become aware that we're in paradise and feel the bliss that we, that we long for and go to the heaven that we dream of? Absolutely. When we wake up, when when we wake up from being human, we will wake up to the afterlife, which is a blissful heaven-like scenario, and when we're finished incarnating, we will wake up to the knowledge that we are source, but it'll never happen while we're in human bodies.
0: Ms. Addison, right. just to give everyone a reminder, your book is called Answers from the Afterlife. We can learn more about more about you by going to our website at backwardsbooks.com. Ms. Addison, you have this amazing chapter of your book called Religious Beliefs, and it talks about prayers. People, what they like to do is sometimes they pray to God, say, God, please, I need something to get done. Or they'll invoke a saint. How does prayer work? Is it effective? And if you're praying to a saint or a person that you love, can they be an advocate for you? Can they, you know, have a, you know, word with source because they're in a the non-physical form and help you, you know, your, your prayer become faster to fruition?
1: Prayer does work but not the way that people think it does you know again humans have this belief that they are separate from god and therefore they pray to god to intercede in their lives and to intervene and to give them things and to correct things and make life easier or they may pray to saints because they think the saints are closer to god but let's set that aside and look at the truth of the matter and the truth of the matter is we are god We are source. When we pray, we pray to ourselves. We have the power to manifest better lives for ourselves. We're not aware of it most of the time. But we souls inside these bodies have the power to absolutely change our lives. Now, I have found since I've been back into this body that, you know, my ability to manifest and your ability to manifest is kind of puny compared to sources of mm-hmm. the manifest. And so I find that it's more effective for me to ask those people in the afterlife who love me to add their power to mine, to help me manifest for myself. They can't do it for me. And source, the, the entire entity or the, the core entity of source won't, won't interfere and won't do it for me, but we can do it for ourselves. We can answer our own prayers, and we can ask our loved ones to help us do it. Now, the thing is, people sometimes say, well, I prayed for this, and I didn't get it. You know, my prayers haven't been answered. That might be because what you thought you wanted or what you thought was good for your life really wasn't. And that the people in the afterlife who have the overview who, and the rest of you that's in the afterlife that's monitoring your life, that have the global perspective and they know what you're trying to accomplish in this life, realize that what you're praying for isn't going to give you the results that you want. You know, you've heard, be careful what you pray for. Um, so your prayers aren't answered. But you will manifest something else to get you into a better place to get you in into the right direction All
0: right. this next question i have is going to have um... it's going to seem a little wacky <sighs> <laughs> you more
1: than your others?
0: <laughs> yes, a, little, a little more. All right. um, a person starts to work out and what they do is that they start day one they they lift uh, 20 pounds and then they go to 30 pounds and next thing you know they're lifting 50 pounds so they're doing it because they're repetitively you know developing their strength so speaking if you are beginning to pray to yourself could you begin to begin uh, sorry, could you begin to develop your strength by saying, okay, uh, dear Ryan, who art in heaven and the physical earth, I ask of you to go to the refrigerator and get me some hummus and you do that and you're answering your own prayer that you say, Ryan, I wish you to go to the door and open the door and you do that. And if you pray to yourself and you ask for things and you're fulfilling them in a physical reality, are you, in a sense, developing and holding your strength in order to fulfill your own prayers and become more in touch with Source, even if it's small?
1: You know, you just said something that I think is one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Dear Ryan, who art in heaven and on physical earth. I wish I had thought of that. I wish I had said that. That was, that was so beautiful. Oh, the answer thank to you. Your question, the answer to your question is, yes, you can learn... To manifest, you can build your manifesting spiritual muscle. You can learn to manifest and and manifest bigger and more and better. But manifesting is not manifesting. It is not for the purpose of getting us things that our bodies want. So I know you were just using an example of you know manifesting Ryan to go to the refrigerator and get a beer or whatever. Yeah. As, as a way an example, of working on it. As an example, yeah. Um, but what we manifest is events and opportunities, not things. So in your hypothetical, which wasn't wacky at all, um, you could say, I am going to manifest that my swollen ankle that I sprained the other day is going to hurt less. And you, if you put your full attention and intention to that goal, and by attention, I mean you may have to elevate the ankle. And that's part of your attention and your intention that it will heal. You can make that ankle feel better. And then maybe, you know, the next time you're, you're trying to um, manifest that, you can actually walk on the sprained ankle, and you do that. So yes, you can increase your ability to manifest physical reality.
0: Got uh, And another great chapter you have in your book is about the life review. So I'm going to give everyone up to speed of this. Apparently, when you die, you have a life review. You experience everything, thought, action, visual. You can imagine, and every single person that was... Completely impacted by it is that a, a correct assessment in a very short uh, yes. sense okay so if a person commits a horrible act like most of the time I guess if you turn on the TV in America every day there's somebody who's shooting up doing a mass shooting or those people who committed these horrible crimes are they going to experience right when they die every single person the impact so regardless if they're found guilty or regardless if there's justice in this world where they experience justice of their own making uh, when they die
1: well, I don't know whether they'll, they will experience justice um, in the human sense, but yes, they will experience all of the horrible things that they did and the ripple effect on all the people who were affected by those acts. And because the life review is early in the crossing over or transformation process, We still have a tendency to think like humans and feel like humans at that point, even though we we also have unconditional love. And so we will be embarrassed and ashamed and hurt by the things that we have done to other people for whom we have unconditional love while we're in the afterlife.
0: Is it... Is there a reason why there are some ghosts that stick around? That people that the ghosts are kind of aware of what's going on, or are the ghosts almost are they residual energy?
1: Ghosts don't stick around, and they're not residual energy. Okay. That is a human perspective. You know, we're go- we're back to the mm-hmm. idea that we are separate from source, and that you know we're down here and source is up there, and that our job is to try to earn our way back to heaven, mm-hmm. passing through the afterlife on the way. And that when we die, you know, we move into a another physical life that we call the afterlife. Ghosts are actually just other souls that we just happen to see because we're tuned in at the moment. Everybody is everywhere all the time. We are all thoughts and sources mind. And thoughts can connect, you know, randomly, just like, you know, you can have two thoughts come together, like you create your hypothetical of, mm. for uh, manifesting. You know, two thoughts, two characters within Source's mind, whether they're incarnated or not incarnated, can become aware of each other. And that's what happens when we, when we think we're seeing a ghost. We are actually seeing another character within Source's mind, but they're not on Earth or stuck anywhere or energetically left behind they're just in Source's mind just like we are, and we just happen to cap- catch a glimpse of them.
0: Excellent. Okay. And Miss Dennison, you do an entire chapter to reincarnation, and you talk a lot about why a person would reincarnate. It's something that's very common, I guess, in our culture. If something happens and they go wrong, oh, I must have done something bad in a past life, or I must have done something good in a past life, and this is karma for that. It, can you please explain if you are a bad person in a previous lifetime let's like say for example you're Hitler in a last lifetime last are you destined to come into a life where you're going to experience some of the same pain and suffering in order to I guess balance the universe if you want to call it that way um, and I guess there's a two part question to that is why have multiple lifetimes if you merge into source and you are everything that's ever happened and you can experience all lifetimes at once what would be the purpose for a soul to keep on repeatedly coming into a life Physical existence, knowing that ex- that experience is readily available for them to already have.
1: My understanding from the afterlife is that, you know, again, you're looking at the way humans look at life. You're you're looking at that paradigm where you know, we're separate from God, and we've got to earn our way back. And that's where bad acts and evil things make a difference, because the theory in human religions is that. We have to act good or we'll be punished. We have to act good to earn our way to heaven. But none of that is true. The purpose for reincarnation, the purpose for incarnation, is for Source to experience emotions and sensations that it cannot experience directly as a spiritual energetic entity. So Source imagines these characters, personalities, and it's mind, which are basically you and me, and just like we have dream characters, and puts its awareness into the characters, the characters then put their awareness into creatures like humans and live illusory lives in these creatures in the physical universe. And we enter into physical lives for one of three reasons. The biggest one, the one that's most prevalent, is we want to gather information for Source about a particular aspect of physical life. Say, for example, uh, greed. Source cannot be greedy. It's completely unconditionally loving. It's completely generous. It cannot personally experience the sensation of greed, but it can imagine greed. And so it imagines these characters, one of which, or more of which, will then choose to experience greed in the universe. And that character, that soul, we'll call it, will enter into every creature in the universe that's capable of feeling greed over and over and over again until it gets a 360-degree perspective on greed. And so the reincarnation is about getting a different perspective on this theme or this idea, this sensation that source is interested in learning about or that we're interested in learning about for source. That's the biggest purpose for reincarnation so that we can come into another life and see greed or whatever our theme is from a different perspective because we're inside a different body. The second reason would be to come to human life to support somebody that we love in the afterlife. And maybe they haven't incarnated into humans as much as we have. So we'll come into human life with them to be kind of like there as a buddy, as a support person. And we will bump into them in human life so that they know we're there and, and form some kind of relationship so that support will be there. The third reason would be to come into a human life to do like one important thing, or it may be a series of important things that another soul needs in order to experience its theme. So, for example, we might come into human life in order to help the soul that's studying greed to help them collect all kinds of money. And that will be the only thing, the only purpose for that entire life for this friend will be to come and to help the other person collect all kinds of things. Okay.
0: But if a spirit, um, you the know, visualization I'm getting for this is that you have, it's basically maybe an actor who takes on a number of different roles. So say for example, sources experience, everything there is to know about greed, and that actor's done, does that actor get retired and just go on? Or does that, um, does that actor go on a different evolution? Is there you have designated spirits that are there just to experience certain things? and? Um, I'm just curious because I guess that there's so much greed, there's so many different forms of happiness, there's so many different forms of, of pain and suffering. Um, I, I guess my head's spinning right now, but
1: yeah, it, it <laughs> takes what we call thousands and thousands of earth years. So remember, oh we don't we don't incarnate just into humans. We incarnate into all kinds of creatures. I mean, oh. there may be greedy cats and dogs out there. I don't know, but there may be greedy creatures on Earth.
0: Yeah, well, my definitely, dog's one of them
1: can't yeah, just have one
0: treat. It has got, got to have all the treats.
1: Okay, so there's an example right there. And Greedy. there are definitely creatures on other planets and in other parts of the universe that experience greed. So it can take what to a human would look like thousands or maybe millions of years. But there's no time in the afterlife. It's always now. So it, it doesn't seem like it's taking that much time. Um, and it, it doesn't seem like so much of a burden.
0: Ms. Anderson, in, this, in our world, there's a definition, of, sorry,
1: there's something called
0: a doppelganger, where it's somebody who looks like you, but is of no physical relation to you. Do people have um, soul doppelgangers of people that are of the same energies or a, a separate existence of them that's par- existing in a parallel reality by chance? Like, are, are we just? Are we only existing in this reality as ourselves as this conscious being, or is there another one of us existing in a parallel reality based on a, a separate decision that is yet to be made? For something else.
1: I believe. I believe what you're saying mm-hmm. before I die. But when I was in the afterlife, and I, you know, I remembered my hundreds and thousands of other lifetimes that I had lived, and I had, had a life review of Nancy's life. Mm-hmm. I saw no parallel universes. I saw no doppelgangers, no... um, See, I always thought that it didn't matter... I mean, it wasn't crucial what decision I made in this life because there was another me and another Mm -hmm. universe making different decisions. But that that does not turn out to be the truth. Um, But what does replace that kind of scenario is you may make a decision in this life as Nancy and then the next time you incarnate into a human as Joe Bagadonut, you'll make a different decision. So you'll get to see, you know, the full scope and, and all the consequences of every choice. You just don't do it all in one lifetime and you don't have a doppelganger in another parallel universe doing it.
0: Could there be a reason why some people have even though their lives maybe they become crazy or they may just be up and down, is that, is that why that some people have a sense of familiarity with their own lives? Because it's, even though they have routines, but it does seem eerily similar. Maybe because they have lived a similar pattern previously. Because they're trying to get the full three hundred and sixty perspective on it.
1: Yeah, I think there are two reasons why that could happen. That's one. One is you just remember um, pieces and parts of other lifetimes that we lived. The other reason why it can happen, that sense of familiarity, is because we, when we are thinking about incarnating into a human, we watch the lives of the potential babies we might enter into. We watch how they're going to grow up and what's going to happen in their lives. And so when we select one of them and we enter into that baby and we're born and we live that baby's life, when we actually physically experience something we saw in that preview, we have a deja vu moment. We recognize it.
0: Oh, it's um, it's pretty amazing. And, um, and since so we only have time for a few more quick questions, and I would definitely like to point out to one of them is that apparently when you died, you went to see this council of light beings. Can you please talk about this council, and that um, that. Didn't you, correct me or wrong? You went back, and they gave you a progress report, and what you're, what you were doing on Earth, and how much progress you were making.
1: Yes, um, you know, earlier I described that there are three purposes to life, or three things that we might mm-hmm. might do, uh, but most of us don't have. Um, that's that's the common scenario. Mm-hmm. Some of us have an actual mission, an actual assignment that we've undertaken on source's behalf within the physical universe. Um, I call them missionaries. Those of us who, those souls of us that do have missions would never get our mission accomplished if we didn't have somebody keeping tabs on us and keeping us in line. So people who actually have a mission will have near-death experiences where they go before a council of light beings who then say you're on track or you're off track. Usually you don't meet with them unless you're off track. I mean, there's no need to have a meeting with, if you're on track, but I had two of those um, years after my 1994 uh, afterlife experience. Uh, These were tune-ups where I was told, you know, I, I, first time I was told I get with the program, you know, I wasn't doing what I came back here to do, which was to share what I learned in the afterlife with anybody who would listen. So I started doing it then. Um, and then the second time uh, my body was, was dying and it, it was in really bad shape. And I was called before the council and they said, you know, your body's dying. Um, you know, it's, you can come home. We You, you didn't do what you... <laughs> you didn't fulfill your mission. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. <laughs> but, you know, we won't hold it against you. So you can come home and, you know, all said and done. Or you can go back into the body and we'll keep it alive but you will suffer horribly for the rest of your life. Jeez. Why like you... an idiot. I'm like... like an idiot, I chose to come back.
0: <laughs> Jeez, there, there must have been some big shoe sale that weekend that must have been Macy's must have been going on all out 50% off shoes is that what it was
1: yeah like I said before we source have so much love for each other for ourselves that we will do anything we will suffer any pain any suffering any deprivation in order to Do what we can for others. And I chose to come back. And I have suffered. I have suffered life-threatening illnesses over and over and over again, and deaths in my family and loved ones, tragedies in my personal life. It has been all the suffering that they said it was going to be. But I did it because I made a commitment to tell people what I learned in the afterlife. And by God, I was going to keep my word. And I love the people who are in human bodies right now enough to go through it for them.
0: Miss Nancy Dennison, filling your mission. Great, great honor to have you. Miss Dennison, author of the book Answers from the Afterlife. I tell you, it is an amazing read. And every one of you out there, please go to Miss Dennison's website. At backwardsbooks.com and if you want to help Miss Madison with her mission, please tell everyone about this book, so you know Miss Madison can complete her mission.
1: <laughs> so I can <could> go home.
0: <laughs> yeah, get back to the afterlife and get on with the, with the next lifetime. Is my understanding is that you are coming back as a um, what, what's your next lifetime that you're planning after this I'm
1: one? I'm, I'm done. I was actually finished. I was finished incarnating before. I came into Nancy's life. I volunteered to come to come into human form at this point in time because it's part of the transition period into the next uh, epic. And, you know, Source was looking around in its mind for characters to, to send into human life to be messengers, and I volunteered. I'm such a sucker, I'm telling you. I
0: can't so believe I, it. They got I the- can't
1: believe it either. So um, I volunteered to come into to Nancy's life. And then, you know, I had to be killed in order to be smacked up the side of the head and told, "Hey, you know, you bought your permission and you're not doing yeah. it." So. Uh,
0: What's your last one? I mean, this is your last. This is your last physical life as a human being. So you might as well. You know, yeah, have but a anyway, time. so I
1: had I had already been all through the incarnation. I'd already been back merged into Source when I volunteered. So my understanding is that. After I leave this human life, I will go back through the same transition process I did in 1994 when I was in the afterlife, and I will reawaken the source and I will be done. So what are you going to be done so You're going to be
0: part of source? Okay. you come. I mean, is there any other lifetimes? So this, this is your final physical life?
1: That's my understanding.
0: I want to come back as a rock. Just everyone, because no one wants to hang out with me. I'm just a rock, peaceful, quiet. <laughs>
1: Well, if you come back as a rock, I'm going to come back as a human and sit on you. Oh my goodness, <laughs> Miss Dennison,
0: I can't believe it. Sheesh, I can't believe you could do such a thing. Now nah, there's going to be karmic well, cycle. Well, I
1: didn't say I was going to blow you up. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, Miss like Nancy Dennison, author of the phenomenal book Answers from the Afterlife, folks. I read it in 24 hours. It's a phenomenal read. Our website is backwardsbooks.com. Miss Dennison, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Ryan.
0: Okay, everyone. That concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our phenomenal guest, Miss Nancy Dannison, going to the afterlife and giving us a full, comprehensive report. Special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Laura Lynn, Miss Lisa Kaza, and Miss Constance Tellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. So the next time we meet, my friends. Wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. Great honor to have you listening to our show.